All right, so let's stop and start again, James, because that was <laughs> shit. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping it. Well, I'm just going to keep no. going, so you can stop it and start again if you want to. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to carry up. No, if we're in the shit, we're in the shit together. Okay, all right, hello, welcome to Private Practice Podcast. I'm Daniel P. Brown. You said that way too quickly. Let's start, let's start with a breathing exercise. Take a breath in. And out. And in. And out. And we should probably do that for, I don't know, two minutes or something, but I'm not going to. This is Private Practice Podcast. I'm James Hall. And I'm Daniel P. Brown. And this week, you have decided that the subject is... Core Beliefs. Private Practice Podcast. I, mean, I quite liked it when uh, when I was picking the subject and you said in quite a facetious way, what is the random subject generator presenting this week, James? Yeah, I know. But um, I guess that wasn't really about it being truly random because you and I knew what you were going to talk about. But I started to realise that from a listener's point of view, perhaps the listener was thinking, why, why the fuck is he reading a book about, I don't know, like phobia or... or, or why what does it mean to us where has this come from whereas like this topic core beliefs has come from a conversation that we've been having over the last two to three episodes well i'm glad that's what's going on in your head because i don't really know what core beliefs are i tried to read into them and it seemed too vague to make any sense to me so dan what are core beliefs well core beliefs are the Sometimes unconscious, sometimes conscious, strong ideas that we have about who we are. They guide our behaviour, they guide our relationships, they guide our interactions, our thoughts. Um, And they can be often described as being very simple and, and tend to have originated in a place in the, in, you know, in our early development. So... You can have positive and negative core beliefs, but they kind of colour the sort of character you are. And not necessarily how you come across to others, but more your internal world, your internal dialogue, the monologue you have with yourself or dialogue. Um, and uh, they can be very problematic if they are negative core beliefs or um, uh, derogatory, self-damaging, um, self-limiting core beliefs, or... They could be at another extreme end, um, unrealistically self-positive core beliefs. I wonder which ones you might initially think you would have as core beliefs. If you if you were just going to, you know, use those two categories, you know, the negative self-critical and the undeniably inaccurate, um, over-the-top um, positive core beliefs about oneself. Well, you'll be probably very surprised my i don't know what to call it life-changing finding myself in france (laughs) 
In fact, so having started this podcast very professionally, let's now descend into chaos. I just, I just didn't want to start on a totally chaotic note. I wanted to start with a nice, uh, neat, nifty introduction that would have people listening as opposed to turning off immediately. Now that they're listening, we can take advantage and turn this into chaos. Normally, before we actually start uh, recording, the... Uh, the uh, the time that Dan and I have together is quite chaotic. And in that, I usually jokingly criticise very harshly his entire life, yeah, his failings. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, today, after telling me specifically that he had to delay the start by half an hour because he had to say goodbye to someone, about 50 minutes later, I said... Uh, you quoted to me 30 minutes maximum 50 minutes later I said oh well apparently it's 50 minutes minimum and you said uh what oh no time has gone by so quickly and I said no it hasn't Dan it has continued to continue at the pace that it has done since the big bang as far as we can all tell etc I therefore uh treated you the way that most people treat themselves. I basically said, you're a failure, Dan Brown. Uh, the only way you'll ever get around this is to start up some kind of seven-year project whereby you try and work out that when you give people <laughs> an unrealistic uh, expectation of yeah. time, it's going to inevitably not work out that way and let them down. It's a selfish act. You need to think about the other person's feelings. I'm just sat here not knowing when you're actually going to come back uh totally putting all my i've got lots of stuff to do i'm busy putting all that on pause because of your failings in life and the only way that you'll ever be able to solve this is to turn it into a totally unnecessarily lengthy process by which point you'll have amassed so many other failings in your life that as a backlog in the waiting room that haven't you haven't even started opening the doors to those processes that it's totally overwhelming and you can't deal with any of it and then you die so I treat you the way most people treat themselves, basically saying, I'm a failure, everything I do is rubbish, uh, I can't do this, and being quite, almost violent with the language. And Actually, um, James, I, that's, James. that's how I speak to you. Now, now you, did, you did get very energetic there in that uh, diatribe, but what I, I can, <laughs> what I can suggest is that you did sort of hit the nail on the head. I just had a quick flick um, to, I think it was like the Harley Street Counselling blog or Harley Street Therapy Counselling blog, and they got a pretty basic definition of what are core beliefs. Um, uh, core beliefs include the thoughts and assumptions we hold about ourselves, others, and the world around us. They are deep-seated beliefs which often go unrecognised. As I was saying, they're kind of on the the, the, the conscious-unconscious borderlines. Uh, they often go unrecognised, and yet they constantly affect our lives. And here are some examples. These are the negative core beliefs. I am ugly. Everyone else is better at their job than I am. The world is full of selfish people. Everyone just wants to take and never give. I am a failure. These, these kind of things. So exactly what you're talking about. And yes, that is the way you talk to me almost every week. It's as if you are verbalising my internal self-critical... Uh, self-damaging, self-limiting uh, voice, which comes from my core beliefs. However, I spent eight years in therapy. Most of those were brought to the surface. And actually, most of the time, you're just an irritant rather than even reflective. <laughs> you know, rather than... But I have... <laughs> the only reason I do that is because this is what I've picked up on 
from knowing you for however many of those years whilst you're simultaneously in therapy. Ha- hang on, I think you you didn't you get to know me just as I was starting therapy. I think Are you I- trying to claim that I was the catalyst? <laughs> I drove you to therapy. No, no, no. I just think you've known me the whole time I was in therapy. I think you've known me from, from just before, because I was living over in um, Hearn Hill, wasn't I? And, that, and that yeah. I remember that I, I had my first session when I was living in Hearn Hill. So I think you might have known me from before I started therapy, when these very self-limiting, self-depreciating, no, like negative, critical, internal voice would have been very strong, to now when it's just a irritating, you know, uh, hangover. But yeah, you do. What me? No, 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 Hang no. On. I, just to, just to clarify, is that your internal voice used to be strong and now it's a irritating hangover, or me reflecting what I think is your internal voice and sh- shouting it back at you in a stupid way for exaggerated comic effect? That used to that that would have really triggered you, and now it doesn't. Yeah, most both. most of the time, but the, but you're incredibly accurate with what you say. You know, the the voice. It, it's as if you you could have written my self-limiting beliefs for me did you seven years ago well they would have been there since sort of early childhood or at least teenage years but yeah so 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 they're there we all have them unless we deal with them Uh, and like it says they're kind of uh often go unrecognized um but core beliefs basically would perhaps affect how successful we are in life the relationships we have um our mood our general outlook on life, our mental health, um, what we choose to do, how, what projects we choose to take on, um, the outcomes of the projects, the outcomes of the relationships, how other people start to view us if they're you know, incredibly damaging. So core beliefs are an integral part of everything. You can have more positive core beliefs, like I'm someone that always tries their best or... Uh, um, you know, you, you might even think something that seems a bit limited, but I'm not the brightest, I'm not the the sharpest tool in the box, but I do work really hard, you know, these these kind of things. Or um, I always actually, I always succeed in the end, or I'll keep going until I, these kind of things. But they often come from our parents and from our experiences, and they'll often come from early childhood repetition and repetition and repetition of... So um, what were the kind of things that were said to you when you were a child, like repetitively? Something about when you get to seven... Oh yeah, my um, I was very, I very much picked up on my dad's idea that children are perfect up until they're seven, and then they just start to become corrupted by the outside world, and they're no longer that pure divine thing. And how did that affect you again? The years when I so after the age of seven, obviously that was the trigger of oh I'm now going to become imperfect. Am I? It was initially the desire in me to prove that I could be incredibly successful and do loads of things. So in my childhood mind, you remember we started this whole thing with that episode of me coming in, sitting down on the sofa and saying, I think I was a megalomaniac child. And you concluded by the end of it, but isn't everyone like that? And I think that there was an extent to which um, I felt like I was going to be whatever, the editor of a magazine, the creator of a city, the designer of a new whatever, um, and I felt that much stronger probably than most people do. And given different circumstances, I would have just picked something and pursued it. And have I, by now, I would probably be very emotionally arrested, kind of living in a 
uh, a kind of caged childhood uh, as an outwardly looking successful adult. And I feel like right now, outwardly, I look like a massive failure because I have constantly chosen, made decisions that have uh, reduced my wealth. And yet I, f- uh, I feel far more uh, optimistic and happy about the world and life and myself and what I do than I ever did when I was younger. Some of that comes just with age. So you want to talk about you? That's fine. We can we can talk about you. I'm sh- I'm, I'm sure that was never not going to happen. The day <laughs> today's chub- subject for the benefit of listener is uh, is going to be core beliefs. We've we've kind of popped up a definition of core beliefs. We've had oh, almost twenty minutes now of basic diatribe from you. Um, what is it that you want to talk about in relation? To core beliefs, other than the nice, interesting one that you believe that your father might have instilled a core belief that you are perfect, as are all children, and that you wanted to remain perfect, which would have then have affected you how? Well, I talked about all this last week in the sense of having the expectation that I was going to go off and do wonderful things and prove that I wasn't going to deteriorate I was only on an upwards trajectory and then realizing that the outside world wasn't interested and I wasn't the center of attention and that the only child situation ends when you leave home all that presented was disillusionment and I know, and and since he died when I was 16 there was no need to prove anything to him because he no longer existed so who was I proving anything to anymore other than myself, and I I found everything too difficult in the real world, so I ended up just sort of retreating and blaming institutions for not opening their arms to me and accepting me as I am without any effort, which was relatively damaging. Certainly left me for quite some time one summer feeling very depressed, walking around on my own with very little interest in what I was going to do next or how things were going to pan out. So how did you deal with it? When did you work out that this was happening? Uh, well, how, uh, I worked, how did, when did I, sorry. How did I deal with it was yeah. um, by realising that I mean, the only end is to commit suicide. I wasn't going to do that, so therefore I had to do something. So pretty, that was pretty much that was pretty much Good. the driver Good. for me. And I decided, well, what I need to do is find any job. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as I can start to make a living in London and start to have uh, to make friends in a sort of friendship group. Because at the time they were all completely disparate, and I found it very frustrating that I could never do things with friends because I didn't have a a group of friends who knew each other so all I could ever do was go and see a friend at a time and usually it was I mean I would see each friend once or twice a year and I would come away feeling slightly dissatisfied and disappointed not slightly very dissatisfied and disappointed that this was just sort of like oh well until six months or 12 months away that was that Um, so I thought I've got to find any job it doesn't really matter what it is in London where there are lots of people so that I can move to London I can start to make friends to bring them all together and we can do fun things together and then from there I can start to build a life and that's exactly what I did uh, right up until 
last summer where it seemed like I'd achieved everything I set out to achieve. I had a group of friends and we would do lots of things together and it was fun and there were lots of holidays and parties. I had a job that paid for me to live in a studio flat in Belsize Park and I was even to the point where I'd started painting again and doesn't that seem like a wonderful, uh, mindful, thoughtful, uh, semi-meditative state of bliss and self-actualization that I could express myself on a canvas peacefully and at one with myself and yet there I was painting with all my problematic thoughts and behaviors present and correct. So what you're saying is the core belief of seeking to remain well that that one could be perfect that there was a sense of perfection that you had lost as you as you grew up from childhood and and left the magical seven years of of zero to seven behind you 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 carried this belief with you that there was a perfection out there that you would strive to hold on to and that affected everything you did including friendship seeking a certain lifestyle and a kind of an image of perfection and then you felt you'd found it when you got to Belsize Park with your London home and your wonderful group of London gays in their creative arts and your dinner parties and you and you, th- you thought I'm here I'm here I've done it I'm done it but but you're also saying that there was a whole group of in your mind thoughts and behaviors that you now recognize prove that that you that you there wasn't you you hadn't found perfection Yes, well, I packed it all in, left the country, and I've been in France for six months. If I was blissfully happy in the life that I had successfully created, having set out purposefully, I want a job in London, I want to be able to pay my rent, I want to have friends who I can all bring bring all together and do fun things together, I had achieved that, so why did I pack it all up and go to France? Why did you? So what I was initially delusionally telling myself I was doing was that I'm not happy at the moment in general. I don't, I don't know why. So what I need to do is shake everything up and take responsibility for making change and not just wait for change to come along. And the only thing I can think of to do is to go somewhere else, get out of this situation and see life from a new perspective. It could have been anything. It was, it was utterly random that I ended, well, not, not totally random, but it was relatively random that I ended up in the south of France because I looked at websites for things like going to the jungle, building huts, I don't know, working with dolphins, whatever people do when they go traveling. I didn't have any idea. I just vaguely thought, what do people do? What could I do? And I happened to see uh, teach English and learn French in Montpellier. And I thought, well, that's something that I can just do right now without any vaccinations and visas and booking flights to the other side of the world. And so I just did it because it was there. Also, obviously, I'd, from living in Mauritius, I had a little bit of background with French, blah, blah, blah. So there were some other things that came into play, but they were relevant, so we don't need to concentrate on them. Basically, it was the, it was the quickest thing to leave behind the life where I didn't feel fully convinced and to go and be somewhere else. So that's what I was. So you recognise you recognise you weren't happy. 
you think it was about this core belief about trying to find perfection and and you'd spent most of your life trying to find this you thought you had it and then once you'd achieved this idea this lifestyle of perfection you realized it it wasn't real that doesn't make you happy firstly maybe there are all sorts of core beliefs that made me do it that I wasn't uh, telling myself at the surface level so these core beliefs are presumably things that are deeper in the subconscious that are than are in our daily internal voice so we don't speak to ourselves our core beliefs uh, we speak to ourselves a total delusion and a fantasy but we act upon the core beliefs that are actually not what we hear yes yeah, yeah but no potentially i mean if you've got some you know People, if, if, if we're just going back to the list that we got from um, the uh, Harley Street Therapy uh, counselling blog, I am ugly. People will say that to themselves in their head. Everyone else is better at their job than I am. They, they will say something similar to that. You know, it might be like, why aren't I as pretty? Or why is, why is everyone so, you know, attractive? But the core belief would be, I am ugly, or I am unlovable, or I do bad things, or I am always wrong. Um, so it might be that you don't think that that often, but at times of depression, it will be that simple. Times where your mood is low, it will be that simple. So I'm wondering what you were thinking at the times when you were low or the times where you were stressed. With the painting, I'm telling myself, this is a really good, relaxing thing to do. If I paint, I'll have created something and I'll I'll feel good, because I'll have done something creative, I'll produce something into the world, someone else might like it. If they don't, it doesn't matter because I enjoyed the process. It's peaceful. I can stop and just breathe and think and not be rushing around and not be thinking about the future and the past. I'm just in the moment looking at the canvas, all that. That's what I hear inside my head. But could it be the case that I'm actually painting because I feel like people don't pay enough attention to me and if I do something bright and vivid and put it in their face they'll be giving me more attention i'll be showing the world something and making them asking them to look at it and to maybe validate me and to say to give me praise for what i've done or to at least react even if they don't like it get a reaction as opposed to just saying well i haven't done anything recently and i don't feel great and so what i'm actually going to do is say i've done this I don't care if you like it or not. I'm just glad that you're giving me the attention right now, looking at it. <laughs> okay, okay. What, you, I mean, yes. It, so therefore, it isn't actually just about the canvas at all, is it? So, like, so I appreciate we're focusing on you trying or putting something, you know, being creative and putting something on the canvas. But actually, you're talking about all kinds of things there. So, what? So, as a guess, what is the core belief? I'm not. I'm not interesting enough without creating something to be valued what is the core belief if i don't make something i won't get any attention if i what is that uh, well it could be my life will amount to nothing if i've got nothing to show for myself but uh-huh. there's there's certainly also a feeling of dis- dissatisfaction that i have in a life of purely consuming if I don't create something to balance the amount that I consume so the food the tv the films the podcasts the everything that everything that a human consumes in a modern society where we're over stimulated with people in the world saying watch this listen to this eat this wear this 
buy yeah. this, buy, 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 buy. A, a whole a life where you do nothing but consume and stare at Instagram and watch Netflix and eat junk food and all that. Yeah. To me, it leaves me feeling that sort of like sickly taste in the mouth as if you've eaten too much sugary confectionery. Uh, so I feel like I can only ever be content in life if I balance that with at least the same amount of creativity, putting something out into the world, putting as much out into the world as I'm taking from it. If I don't have that balance, I don't feel satisfied. But I don't know how much... Um, I don't I don't know what the core belief is that leads me to that or that led me to want to paint but um I can certainly look back now at we can take this away from painting now <laughs> I can certainly look back now at the leaving the country and going to France as an escape from myself because there I was painting and the whole time I was painting I wasn't entirely happy in myself I, I was painting and it was supposed to be this wonderful therapeutic thing but I was actually thinking this week hasn't been that great uh I'm not sh- I'm not particularly happy uh I don't know what I'm trying to do with my life uh I don't know that the interactions that I have with people are all that meaningful it might just be that we're all just miserable and everyone drinks too much and they're probably all just escaping the lives that they don't really like and we do it together and we feel like it's meaningful because we come together to escape and that's leaving me feeling a bit empty inside and I want to get away from it. But um, I, so that all these thoughts I'm having whilst I'm painting and I'm supposed to be wonderfully in the moment and therapeutic. But I'm not wonderfully in the moment and therapeutic. I'm having all these thoughts. So I knew that I was having these thoughts and I knew I needed to do something about it and so I left the country and then um, there's all the novelty of everything that happened for about four months until I suddenly realised, wait, James, you're just running away from things all the time. This the Last year, I went to Bulgaria, Turkey, Berlin, Las Vegas, Paris, the south of France and then my 10-country tour of September followed by moving to Montpellier for supposedly three months and I stayed longer. It was, a con- it was just constant escape. And when you try and escape from yourself, lo and behold, you find yourself in the new place, present and correct, with all your core beliefs and baggage, emotional baggage and bad behaviour still there. So was it easier to... Um to recognise what you were saying to yourself and what you believed about yourself when you got to the kind of resting place that in Montpellier? The ja- yes, January was when I just sat in a room. I did other things, but for the purpose of this conversation, I basically just sat in a chair and I thought about, the, I, th- I thought about that idea of um, growing up thinking that everyone's perfect until they're seven and then they become corrupted and so... Probably. So what was I trying to prove to my parents? Um, I thought about the idea that I um, have the, the this suspicion of institutions and the paranoia that I cannot fit into any and they're all out to get me. And that would have affected every time I tried to apply for a job over a decade and that probably that probably influenced me not getting lots of jobs and probably embittered me and so on 
And just, um, you, you sort of muddied it a bit there. What, so what's the core belief there? Uh, the core belief that from from my multiple varied background that was, it, I didn't have, I've talked about this before, I didn't have a normal background just growing up in a, town with friends from childhood that I grew up with and lots of family and all the normal things I moved around went to loads of schools everything changed every five minutes uh, nothing was certain in life and so on and I was an only child I had no other reference point but myself and my parents uh, so from that only child Believing I could do anything, I could be the editor of a magazine, I could be the megalomaniac who creates a perfect city, blah, blah, blah. Or more realistically, I could go out into the world and get a creative job and be successful. Um, when I struggled to do that, when I left university and I realised, oh, what I want to do, I'm probably not going to be able to do. Even if I do do it, I'm going to have to be an unpaid intern and really compete with other people. And that was when I started to realise that I didn't have any kind of emotional intelligence I didn't know how to interact with people in interviews I didn't really understand people I didn't understand why people wouldn't like me I didn't know how to how do I sell myself <laughs> I don't know do you know that now so well, probably not but better but that that meant that I had I had interviews for jobs where I didn't know what to do didn't know what to say the other person didn't like me and I left feeling disillusioned and so I gradually built up this suspicion that instead of acknowledging what was happening what I was telling myself is the world's not fair it rejects someone like me I'm not like everyone else and the institutions are built for other people they're not built for me I will always be rejected I cannot get what I want right, Therefore, right, right. okay now we're getting there so after a whole bunch of god knows <laughs> what I mean <laughs> fucking hell what are we in for 44 minutes into the podcast all right Okay, so sorry, and then I interrupt you. Can you believe it? Oh, oh I really want no to hear good, what good. I, really, I really want to hear what James has to say as he gets to the point. Oh, now you've got to the point. And so your core beliefs, you think you kind of discovered whilst in Montpellier. Your core beliefs are. Keep talking. I'm. I've got a horror show on my screen because what I can see right now is basically. Areas of green where I'm talking, areas of black where you're talking, and it's a <laughs> screenshot. It. It's a sea. Screenshot it's a sea of it green. for me. Just screenshot it for me, well, I'll, James. I'll take. I'll take a picture. It's easier. But no, you can. Um, so you can... just. I've just. I've said. I've said more than enough. Ah, you react, wow. Dan. Go. Go. Okay, now well, you, you're the doctor. The you know, you, Doctor Dan. Go. Well, it sounds like you developed this. Um, you, you, you like you develop these core beliefs um, later on. Your initial belief was something about you know being perfect and striving for perfection. But along the way, what you discovered was, or or, or what your 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 unconscious mind started to do was say that you don't fit in. Other people won't understand you. You're never going to actually succeed. You're too different. You're too um, individual. Other people won't be able to get you, which has actually affected your behaviours and affected so much of your life. However, despite that, you did still manage to build up a strong group of friends and a social life and succeed in a career, perhaps not the one you wanted, and even get involved in creative projects. So it wasn't until 
you even ran away from that that you'd created. You got to Montpellier. You thought about all of these. Where are you at now then? Are you, are you feeling content that actually you can be accepted? You are able to succeed? You, you aren't being excluded from life because you're different? I only feel content to the extent that I feel like I can make sense of all these things now and it's not an impossible puzzle to solve and that I am uh, learning all sorts of ways of dealing with things and to improve myself and noticing the benefits and therefore this is a process that is enjoyable and will benefit me and anyone I come into contact with and will only hopefully improve and continue for as long as I walk the planet. However, there are plenty of problems left to solve. And I certainly think with social interactions, I approach most things with, and you'll, I don't know how you're going to react to this, but this, the internal voice in my head says, am I going too far? Am I taking the joke too far? Is it obnoxious? Do I need to say this? Am I just saying this to show off? Will the other person not like it? Am I going to lose a friend by saying this thing because they'll just think James is awful and all he does is show off and say stupid things? Uh, if I, um, am I just constantly drawing attention to myself and pushing people away from me by doing that? Do I not really ask questions and listen to other people or not enough? Do I just speak to say things and not to? Cool, cool. So say the thing. Back. So say the thing that was causing that that negative self talk or that critical self talk or that unsure, anxious self talk. What were you going to say? What do you mean? What was I going to say? Oh, I felt like you were going to say something, and instead of saying that thing just then, you decided to. Um... Oh, I say no. That, yeah, what? As in, I solved this problem, and now what I think is this. <laughs> no, no. I no, yes, yes. That'll do. Yes. Okay. Um, no, I think so. You gave really, really good examples there, or, or good examples of like what a lot, a way a lot of people who aren't happy the way that they they talk to themselves but also a lot of people who who don't realize that that kind of negative critical internal monologue isn't actually necessary that's not who we are that's that's a kind of learnt behavior that's a learnt standard of um the way we talk to ourselves that doesn't have to be that's changeable um even even short-term therapy can really change those kind of internal monologues that we have that are very very self-damaging and self-limiting. Um, so, yeah, the kind of things that you were just saying there, I think I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, will people still like me? Am I good enough? Why would I say these things? Am I just showing off? I shouldn't say things like this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, this, this kind of generally actually in the negative, should, should not, cannot, can't, wouldn't, shouldn't, must not... Um, if I do, this is the consequence. I am bad for this. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not as clever. I'm not as good. I'm not as intelligent. I'm not as smart. I'm not as pretty or useful or successful. Those those kind of things. Lots and lots of people, I think. And but again, you say that I've never had. I've never had those kinds of. I, I never feel like I'm. I never say to myself, I. Um, no, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. I'm sure in certainly in kind of like romantic situations and in job situations, I've probably told myself I can't do it. I'll fail. I mustn't get into this because it will just turn into a failure and then I'll be shown up. So probably that has happened. Also, you did literally uh, three minutes ago just give us a whole barrage of them which were coming from you. 
And although the core belief might actually serve to protect ourselves from that kind of internal monologue, what I understood from what you've been saying to me today is that you've got to a point where you're recognising your internal monologue to the point of knowing when it's um, realistic, knowing when it's self-defeatist, knowing when it's damaging or limiting. That's what I was taking from what you were saying. That, that this whole process that you and I have been through together, actually, in the podcast, from day one, comically, private practice podcast, lol, that's a process that you've been going through for, for life anyway. But then in the last three years that we've been doing this, if I understand right, you've been actually trying to work towards a kind of a self-realisation sort of protocol. <laughs> yes, well, I, ca- I came into this thinking, oh, it'll be useful to say some of the things that uh, I think are weird and unique about me, the crazy only child who's different to other people. Then came, obviously, the horrifying discovery that I'm actually just like everyone else or have following some characteristics that are similar and the same as everyone yeah uh-huh I, I, maybe I'm joking horrifying but it's more comforting I don't have to constantly uh, maintain James Hall the genius yes I don't have to constantly maintain that. Um, Something that you did hit on a few minutes ago, which I thought was interesting. Let me see if I can actually remember quite what it was you said. Um, Was the way that kind of almost like a grandiose core belief can stop us from progressing. I'm not quite sure which one you said, actually. Um, but, But, you know, the idea, oh, people will not understand me. That can actually stop you from thinking, you know, oh, am I understanding people am i you know it might it might have slowed down your your social development people will not understand me well why would you try and get people to understand you and also why would you try and understand other people if they weren't as incredible as you are uh, and i'm saying that to anyone not just you you know or and it's it's the same the other way around you know oh well i'm not good enough people won't want to talk to me you'll stop talking to people you know, our core beliefs can, in a very simple way, completely limit our development and they can limit our um, ability to succeed or just enjoy and experience life. So core beliefs in terms of talking to the listener today, and although this is still really, you know, um, uh, James Hall, my life in words, James Hall... Uh, James... <laughs> I prefer my title that I came up with earlier. Finding myself in France. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you prefer your title, James. No, it does not surprise me at all. But James Hall, my life in words. James Hall, my life in French words. Anyway, James Hall, (laughs) you know. James Hall, my life in the lofty subjunctive. Il focus a sash. Uh, Oui. We oui, très bien, James. Um, but for the listener, we all have core beliefs. This isn't something about, oh, uh, if you've got, <laughs> you got mental health problems, you've got core beliefs. We all have core beliefs. We all have both positive and negative ones, generally. I mean, some people have um, an overwhelming amount of negative core beliefs, obviously, again, due to like trauma, parenting, and just experiences. However, we all have limiting core beliefs. We all have self-limiting talk. And Getting to understand whether it's by spending a month in Montpellier just sitting in the beautiful sunshine and thinking about what you're thinking about and thinking about the way that you're thinking it 
you know, the, the quality of the thought, the intensity of the thought, the integrity of the thought, the language with which you were thinking, the tone with which you're thinking, the um, speed and the pace and the energy, the mood, the, the emotion with which you're thinking, the thoughts you're thinking about yourself, your achievements, your actions, your behaviour, your relationships, your abilities, are all, are, all, are all a very important way of understanding what potentially is our core belief. And of course, core belief is a concept. It's not like a, um, having a, 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 like a, a you know, um, bones in your body or blood in your veins. It's a concept, it's an idea. So for each individual, there's probably a different way of experiencing core beliefs. But generally, the way that we look at them is by exploring our thoughts i'm still struggling to define core beliefs in my head the difference between an idea that makes us do something even though we tell ourselves we're doing it for a different reason or the voice in our head that is constantly speaking to us and deluding us is it is the core belief the driver in the background that we're not always necessarily aware of, or is it the voice that we constantly hear that may well be deluding us and contradicting the core belief or whatever? No, no, the core belief is the driver in the background. The, the, the core belief... I mean, it's it sort of, you know, it's, it, uh, it does what it says on the tin. So in order for us to just... To, for us to talk to our listener, then core belief has to mean something. So it may well be that the thoughts in their mind and the thoughts in their head are actually the the window into what the core belief would be. So what, what, how would you know a core belief if you didn't have thoughts? You, only your actions. But then there wouldn't be any kind of step in between the, the semi-hidden belief about yourself and how it affects you. you would, you'd have no idea if you didn't have thoughts. you just have your actions and a, a silent what. So, so the... So the the words that we use in our conscious thoughts and our mind are what gives us insight into the concept of a core belief. Okay, so someone who obsessively cleans their room, are they... The core belief is, I hate myself, I'm disgusting, and no amount of cleaning will ever solve me. But whilst the voice in their head says, I need to clean my room because... uh, that's what makes a good person. The voice says that I've just cleaned my room and that is a productive way of using my day instead of just sitting in my pants surrounded by Watsits and Netflix. I've actually got up and I've cleaned my room. I feel great now. I feel purposeful. Today has had purpose. But it's actually, the core belief is, I hate myself. I'm disgusting. I need to relentlessly clean and yet no amount of cleaning will ever clean me. Is the core belief the voice that says you're cleaning to make yourself a better person and be purposeful, or is the core belief, I'm disgusting? The core belief is, I'm disgusting. Okay, good. That's totally solved it for me. Okay. Um, But there's also a couple of things you said there. Um, you You were starting to mix up more than that. I am ugly. I am disgusting. I am a bad person. They're quite simple core beliefs so that the thoughts would twist them the kind of the interaction between the thoughts to action or thoughts to behavior would would maybe twist the core belief perhaps make it find a positive like the painting because like i don't think anyone would disagree that the painting on the canvas the the process of creating is a bad thing especially if you find some zen you know a bit of mindfulness during it but it's the idea that 
afterwards, the painting is away, you've packed your paints away, you're sitting on your chair and you're thinking, oh, but I'm still James Hall. <laughs> you know, the idea, there's some idea that the painting would f fix how dull James Hall is. You know, I am dull is the core belief. I've done a painting, I'm amazing. Oh, no, I'm not. I am still dull. So actually, you're not tackling, you, you know, tackling thoughts is a really useful way of doing it, exploring them. But the belief behind the thought is, I'm, I'm just as an example, I'm not saying this, is, you're dull. I am dull. If I paint, I'm not dull. Another thing that possibly informs my core beliefs or my um, approach along the lines of what, I was, what I've been saying is that when I talk about myself and say, oh, these things, are, uh, uh, these are my struggles, uh, this is what I've had to deal with in life, Part of, there's a voice inside my head screaming at me, but James, you're privileged. Most people have it much worse. James, you're not homeless. James, you didn't come from uh, a background where you were abused as a child. James, you come from a comfortable, loving family and you had a good education. And then at the same time, I think, oh, but I don't have uh, the same... I don't come from that background of everything is going to go OK for me because it's almost inevitable. I, you know, mummy and daddy have all the contacts and all the money in the world and everything will work out for me. That I never had any of that. It was mummy and daddy have no contacts and uh, threw all their money at Mauritius when I was seven years old and there wasn't any left after that. So I don't have either of those backgrounds I felt like I was essentially saying last week, oh, poor me, I've had all these struggles in life. And whilst those were the words coming out of my mouth, the voice inside my head was screaming at me, James, you're privileged. James, you had better things than other people in childhood. James, most people wish they were as loved as you when you were a child. Wait, stop, James, stop, 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 stop. So is, are, are there core beliefs around you have to have experienced severe trauma to be... Uh, eligible for compassion or, you know, I'm overcomplicating it there, really. Um, you don't deserve to feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad. You're not allowed to feel... Um... I don't deserve to be able to acknowledge my problems. I shouldn't consider them problems because my life has been too comfortable for what I claim to be problems to actually be relevant. I should actually be grateful for how comfortable my life has been. And every time I say, this is wrong, I don't like my life, I'm just an awful person who, who doesn't recognise how good it's been. Okay, and so I don't we... deserve to have any help. This is, this is probably one of the strongest and most relevant things whenever I'm talking about anything on this podcast, is as soon as I say something like... When I, in my childhood, my father thought that I was perfect until seven and then afterwards that I was rotting away and I had to prove myself to him. There's a voice screaming in my head. Your parents loved you. Your childhood was much better than other people's. And here you are making a podcast talking about, oh, where is me? I had this problem in childhood. And the listener is thinking, uh, James, actually, your childhood was much better than mine. I wish that I'd had that. Why don't you just shut up? That is the voice inside my head. No, because... Oh, that's how I imagine. That someone... it, um, working with patients in, um, it, in a mental health setting, you have to accept that everything is relative. It's relative to your experiences. So, so we all have 
a range of emotions. We have a um, we we are all liable to feel liable. Is that the right word? We're all able to feel anger, but do you think that someone whose guinea pig was uh, whose cat, sorry, was run over by a car? I mean, a guinea pig could get run over by a car, but whose pet was killed by a car should feel the same amount of anger as someone whose whose daughter or son was killed by a drunk driver. Now, if the person whose guinea pig was run over by a car is feeling furious with that driver and has never experienced the loss of a daughter or a child, but they have experienced the loss of the guinea pig, do we then say, hey, 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 that lady over there, her son was just killed by a car. You shouldn't feel as angry as her. It's relative, isn't it? So perhaps later on, like, the, the anger would be the same when the guinea pig owner's um, daughter is run over by a car, you know, by a drunk driver. It's, it's about what we've experienced in our life. We still have those emotions. They're all there. They're kind of, again, in, inherently in us. Anger, rage, sadness, excitement, happiness, love, um, sorrow, guilt. Are, <laughs> I can name all the emotions. <laughs> I can't, actually. Anyway, point, uh, point well, being, so, so, but if you're then going to, so actually, the, the, it's not, it's about, you shouldn't feel, um, what is it? That's, it's, it's simpler than that for you. You shouldn't feel, you don't deserve something. You don't deserve to be. Hold on, pause, because I, I just want to congratulate you. I just want to glorify Daniel P. Brown for a minute. And I'm just going to slowly and calmly say that that was, absolutely spot on what you just said uh is probably the most useful thing that anyone can take from this and as usual over an hour into it we're finally concise <laughs> useful interesting warm wonderful company exactly what everything this podcast should be and so what you've just said is basically that um it's ridiculous to think either the extremes of oh, my problems are nothing. I should stop thinking they're problems because when I compare myself to someone who's had a much worse life, everything in my life seems like nothing and I'm an idiot for thinking they're problems. And equally, being so extreme as to think that nothing in life could be worse than my situation. Those are, those are two extremes and both of them are invalid in a way. And I think that I've often been tipping too far towards thinking, I don't deserve anything in life because I've had many fortunate things growing up. And when I pick on the things that were less fortunate, I'm just an awful person for not, for not focusing on the things that were fortunate. But really, I, I need to recognise the things that were less fortunate because they are influencing things from my childhood that affect my behaviour today in a negative way, and I need to recognise that to change that. Yeah, absolutely. But there is power in, in both ways of using it, but it's recognising that you shouldn't be using anything to bully yourself or harm yourself or limit yourself, um, you know, within a healthy norm. So... It, it, one of the one of the ways that um, one of the techniques that people suggest for, I guess, mild to moderate depression is to write down in a book things you're thankful for each day. So recognizing what you're thankful for, you know, James, you are thankful that you weren't brought up in an abusive household. 
you are thankful that um, you had the opportunity to, um, uh, to to live in Mauritius, but you're also aware that some of those opportunities led to um, uh, like a pathway to difficulty in terms of settling and being focused. You, you're not like, oh my God, I was in Mauritius and I cannot believe that they took me to Mauritius and what awful parents, you know. But you're saying, oh, well, there, well there's positives and negatives to that. But it wasn't the end of the world. You're also recognising that you didn't have the most traumatic time, but you also had... There's things that you could have had more of, some more kind of stability, some more containment, some more um, connection to your peers. That's not you saying... I've always struggled to find that balance. Yeah, I've always was... gone to one of the two extremes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that's very common. I really do. Um, and I don't mean you know, the Mauritius thing and not being connected to your peers. I think it's very common to swing swing between, uh, you know, self-hate and self-feeling um, sorry for yourself. I can't... Self-feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> There's definitely a word for it. I'm sure if I was in work... Self-depreciation. Um, self-depreciation. No, no, that, that's putting yourself down, isn't it? It's, it's like feeling sorry for yourself. I can't think of the um, bloody word... Well, anyway, if there's any listener out there who can remember the word for feeling sorry for yourself, do just write into. We don't need to find the word. One thing that I've learned recently is that I've been uh, too autistic in the past about this sort of thing. I've got this from partially from learning another language. You simply cannot translate from French to English and English to French because what I say to someone in English, when I translate it to French and say it to a French person, they will never hear the same thing that the English person hears. And so this this sort of... The, the, the autiste in me that goes... But it has to be precise. It has to... The other person has to fully know me. I have to give a 15-minute story before I say the only thing that's relevant to them because they need to know the context. Otherwise, they won't fully get me and this will be a disaster. They're never going to fully get me. I'm only ever going to say things from my point of view with all my amassed experience and they're only ever going to hear what will ultimately be influenced by the way they think. It is impossible to convey exactly what you think successfully into another person and seed the perfect plant that is your own divine creation absolutely 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 this is something that i i I luckily learned around about 21 22 23 i I, this was very lucky i'm learning at 31 32 33 however old i am i keep forgetting but it's it's an increasing it's an incredibly difficult thing to grasp I mean, there are some people who really don't talk that much for the fear of not being able to exactly... And there are other people who think that words are so specific and so precise that you will always get the exact meaning and that there's no room for interpretation. But that's bollocks. Everything, almost everything, sorry, that we say is interpretable and is uh, changeable in the other person's mind. That's, you know, that's part of communication, clarifying and exploring the, the meaning behind things. And... It, again, working in mental health, that's almost what we're doing a, a lot of the time. You know, um, a lot of things that we it's might... It's almost su- a whole other episode. It's all, it is. It is almost a whole other episode. Perception of meaning. Fascinating <laughs> topic. Next time on Private Practice. <laughs> anyway, so just a quick recap. We've looked at core beliefs and we've looked at... Um, self-talk or, or, or um, internal monologues as being the way to kind of perhaps explore what your own core beliefs are. We've seen core beliefs as something that could be 
potentially quite damaging and definitely self-limiting. There's different kinds of therapy that use the term core belief more specifically than we have been. We're kind of looking at it in a sort of a in a mildly wishy-washy way. But I think if, if it's something that you, you've connected with today whilst listening, it is something to explore with a therapist or at least um, search on the internet for a little bit more information about it. You know, I would have thought the Royal College of uh, Psychiatry, the different British psychological associations would have really interesting um, uh, information on it. But it is just something to like start to recognise. How are we talking to ourselves? What's the language? What's the mood, the tone? Um yeah, and it, it can give you a little insight into some of what could potentially be your core beliefs, which might either help you develop or limit your development. Shall we give the listener a little task to do between now and the next episode, which is something like to, uh, do you want me to think about the next time? Do you want me to give you an exercise? Yes, please. All right, cool. There's one that I got from one of Yalam, Yalom's books, sorry, called the books When Nietzsche Wept. And uh, uh, one of the psychotherapists in there used a technique called chimney sweeping. And I find this really useful. And I've taught it to all of my patients that, that, uh, that would have found this useful. And that is to have a, you know, pretty much a reporter's pad, a jotter pad, a notebook, and to have a pen and to allow yourself to stream of consciousness spend 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes a day just writing down all of the things that come into you. This is not prose. This is not an article. This is not a diary. This is not a journal. This is not to be reread by someone else. This is not to get thoughts out perfectly onto paper. It's just to get the words that are floating around your head out, especially when feeling distressed. This is quite a useful technique. But to do that repeatedly over a number of weeks and then perhaps just go back to it and look at the kind of content and you'll start to see themes, you'll start to see ideas, you'll start to see words and you'll kind of start to get a kind of a colour and a picture and a painting of your own internal uh, psychological landscape. That is something that's worth doing for two or three weeks. That is, it's funny you say that. That's actually how I got to where I got to with um, the James Four story. I kept... I, I found it so chaotic, you know, like a ping pong ball whizzing from extremes of reaction that um, I started to write... I, I'd, I'd have a thought and I'd write down what I thought was a logical sequence of thoughts that led me to a conclusion. And then about a week later, I'd have another thought and I'd write down what I thought was a logical sequence of events that led to a conclusion. And when I look back on them, there was none of the logic that I thought was there, but there were certainly valid things and it helped me make far more sense of it than when it was just rattling around in my head. Yep, it's, it's really good. Yalom called it chimney sweeping. I, I like that idea. Anyway, have a go at chimney sweeping. And until next time, it's uh, Daniel P. Brown from the Private Practice Podcast. And James Hall, also from the Private Practice Podcast, but we didn't actually mention it. I'm still in Paris and you're still in an unspecified location in South London. Yep, I'm in my South London bunker. <laughs> Lol. Anyway, goodbye. And don't hate yourself. Yeah, I hate you enough. (laughs) It's a wonderful story.